you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. All right, so if you're just now joining us, guys, uh, we are in the middle of a, of a series called Boundaries, which is all about the importance of setting up boundaries in our life to help us to kind of defend ourselves against our very real unseen enemy called Satan and his demons who are actively trying to pursue us uh, different ways to attack us. Really what they want to do is destroy our lives. They want to destroy our faith, getting us to live independently, separated from God and separated from each other. And um, one of the things that we've been hitting on, the first thing in this series, is the importance of partnering with Jesus and actively killing the sin in our life that tries to destroy our lives by trying to chop it off at the root. And one of the things we've been talking about for the last several weeks is how our unseen enemy, Satan and his demons, they, they, they love, they know exactly how to attack us in those weak, soft areas of our life, the soft spots in our life. They know those weak areas better than we do. They know those areas that we're tempted in the most better than we do. And they love using those areas against us to attack us. And something else that our very real unseen enemy knows better than we do is also how easily distracted we are. We are so easily distracted, aren't we? So easily distracted. And it's all kinds of different things. A lot, actually, some of you, maybe even in here right now, you might be struggling with distraction. You know, even while we're sitting here, you're kind of trying to engage and, you know, maybe you're getting distracted and you're, you're actually starting to like vent, you know, venture off in different places. You're starting to maybe daydream or something. Maybe one of you is wondering, hey, when is this guy going to wrap up because I'm getting hungry? Uh, you know, maybe what, what do I want to eat later on today? Maybe I want to eat some Mexican or a, a hamburger or something like that. And you're starting to think about all these different things, starting to get distracted. Or maybe it's a text message that you got a few minutes ago and you're wondering, hey, who was it that was texting me? What does that say, right? What does that text message say? There are all kinds of different distractions going on all around us, all the time. And it's so easy to give in to them. And what something else, too, is those distractions are really contagious as well. Like, if you think about it, if somebody's getting distracted, let's say, for example, somebody's sitting here and they say, hey, look over there. All of a sudden, everybody wants to start looking in that direction, seeing what that one person is getting distracted by. So then all of a sudden, this huge group of, get, of people is getting distracted by the same thing, right? Like They're contagious. And we don't even need other people to distract us. Like We are pros at distracting ourselves. I mean, think about it. How many times in your life, if you think about it, how many times in your life have you started to like just venture off and start daydreaming? Like Maybe you're at work. Right? Anybody ever done that? You're sitting at your desk, you're like supposed to be working, working on a project or something, or maybe you're like on a date with your wife or with your husband, and they're talking to you or with your kids or, or whatever else. You're supposed to be engaging in something or, or with someone, and then all of a sudden you start venturing off, and, and then all of a sudden something just snaps you back too, and you're like, wait a second, how long was I out for it? Like, I have no clue what just happened, and I have no clue how long I was out. And all of a sudden, you look down on your clock, and it's been like 30 minutes, and you're like, man, I have no clue what this person I'm sitting here uh, next to, start, you know, like, supposed to be talking with, I have no clue what they were saying for the last, like, several minutes. Has anybody ever done that before? I think we've all been there at different points in our life. There are so many different distractions. None of us are immune to this either. We all struggle with this. And this is something else that our very real unseen enemy 
loves to use against us. He, he knows how easily we get distracted better than we do. He knows how to use certain distractions around us to get us. to, to Essentially what he wants to do is to attack us in our faith. He wants to get us living independently, separated from God, distracting us from the real focus, where the real focus should be, which is God. And so because we are so easily distracted in our life and because our very real unseen enemy knows how easily we're distracted, there's this need that we all have to set up this boundary in our life that essentially acts as a distraction filter. And what we're going to find today is that Jesus is our distraction filter. That's our big idea today. Jesus is our distraction filter. And as we start to focus on Jesus, what happens is everything else in our life starts to naturally line up. Let's pray. Father, I just, um, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be your son. I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather together today to worship your name, Jesus. I, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to, to have this book called the Bible that we can open up and that we can read all these different stories that point back to you, back to your gospel message and what you have done for us in our place, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much for grace. We thank you so much for your mercy that we do not deserve. I pray, God, if there's anybody here today that has not opened their eyes in response to your grace, I, I pray that you would help them to, to perform that miracle of salvation by opening their eyes. I pray that you would hope in their heart, open their eyes, and that you would save them right here, right now, today. And I pray that the rest of us that are following you, actively following you as your disciples, I pray that we leave here changed, that we don't leave here the same, that we are in a deeper, more intimate relationship with you, more in love with you, and more in love with your people than when we first walk in these doors. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just take over this sermon. Just fill us with your peace. Fill us with your presence. Speak through me, a broken, sinful vessel. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, so when it comes to distraction, there's a lady named Martha that knows a whole lot about it. Um, she's somebody that's actually been used as an example of a person that struggled with distraction for the past couple thousand years. Because through her distraction, Jesus taught her a lesson. He taught her something that completely changed her perspective when it comes to what's most important in life and what the central focus in our lives really should be and what everything else in our lives should revolve around. So let's check out what Mary, or I'm sorry, Martha, what Martha learned in this story, Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38. It says, while they were traveling, he entered, and this is talking about Jesus, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks as she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. So notice in this story, Martha, she hasn't committed any crimes. 
She hasn't murdered anybody. She hasn't stolen from anybody. Uh, you know, she hasn't like, uh, you know, spread a bunch of lies or rumors or anything. And, and she has, isn't really necessarily trying to be mean to anybody either. Like from the outside looking in, it looks like Martha is busy doing a lot of really good things. And culturally speaking, in that day and age, it was actually common practice for the women, especially the woman of the house, to be doing different things around the house, getting things prepared, hosting, serving other people. So culturally speaking, it looks like Martha is doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing in this story, right? It really, if you look at the story, the only person that it looks like that isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing is Mary, her sister, because while Mar- Martha is busy doing all of this busy work on her own, what's Mary doing? She's sitting over here next to Jesus, and it looks like she's doing nothing. So it looks like Martha's doing all the right things and working hard for other people, serving other people, while Mary is doing nothing. And if you, if you think about this story, like put yourself in Martha's shoes for just a second. Like let's think about this practically for a second. Think about if you've got a huge gathering, like a bunch of people that are going to be coming over to your house, and it's people that you know, uh, friends, people that you love, and you haven't seen them in a while. And one of them is actually like your main teacher, uh, mentor, role model, all these other things wrapped up into one. That's Jesus, right? And they're all coming over. You know they're coming over soon, and you're excited, you're pumped. What are you probably going to be doing if you know they're going to be coming over soon? you're probably going to be getting everything ready, right? Like you're going to be busy. You're going to be getting things ready. You're going to be sweeping up, you know, that floor that you haven't swept up in like a month, right? Um, You're going to be putting things up. Uh, You're going to be organizing different things, putting out the best things that you have. Maybe you've got like some candles or something like that. You put out some candles. You light those things up, getting it kind of smelling good. You set the mood, get the lighting, and then maybe some music. Put out like your best silverware, the best dishes and and cups and all that, like you're probably not going to give Jesus your little plastic cup that you got down the road, like at the local barbecue shack or something, right, that has like a cut in it, right? You're probably going to give him like the best cup that you have. And so in the process of getting everything ready and organized, and you're excited about this, and you're, you're doing, you're really, really busy doing all these good things, all of a sudden you hear this knock at the door. And you go and you answer the door, you open the door, and there he is, he's Jesus, right? Your role model, your, you know, your, your hero, I mean, your, your, your teacher, all these things wrapped up into one. He's there, he's standing there, you're excited. You got all these people that are piling in along with Jesus. And as they come in, they're, they're starting to hang out, they're starting to talk, and people are having a good time. And if you're the one in that scene that is expected to be doing the hosting, because again, culturally speaking, Martha's the woman of the house. Culturally, in that day and age, she was expected to be doing the hosting. And so if you're Martha's shoes and you're expected to be doing the hosting, all these people are there. What are you going to be doing? You're going to be hosting, right? You're going to be filling people's drinks. You're going to be giving them food, you know, taking the hors d'oeuvres out to them and replenish the different, like the chips or the snacks that people have. You're going to be bringing out the entrees and maybe you're going to be going back to the the stove and checking on like, you know, the pies that you got, like maybe some pecan pie or something like that. Uh, You're going to be be doing all this busy work. You're going to be filling people's drinks. You're going to be cleaning up after them, all these different things, hosting people and serving them, Right? And that's what Martha's doing in this scene. And through this story, we're led to believe that this isn't just like a small gathering. Like, so in other words, this isn't, this isn't Mary and Martha and Jesus and like one other person, right? Like, like we're led to believe this is a big gathering. So imagine in your mind, if this is at your house, it's not just a few people. You've got tons of people there. Like your 
kitchen is packed out along with your living room and then overflow in other rooms. You've got tons of people and with tons of people and you're the host, what does that mean? There's tons of work to do. So Martha's got tons of work to do. So Martha is busy and she's doing all this work. And hear me on this. There's nothing wrong with the work. The work is, is good work, right? Like it's actually things that need to be done. Things need to be picked up and cleaned up and things like that. Sometimes people, they may not know where the drinks are. There's still this good work that needs to be done. But here's the problem. Here's the issue. In the process of doing all of these good things, all this good work, Martha completely missed the best thing, which is spending time with Jesus. And then not only that, but she also completely lost sight of the reason for working and serving other people in the first place, which is to love God with everything that you have, but then also to love the other people around you. So guys, what we have to understand is when we get so caught up in the busyness of life and doing work, even good work, if we completely lose sight of the reason why we're doing that, if we lose sight of why we're supposed to be doing that, loving God and loving other people, then ultimately we have to ask ourselves, like, why are we even doing that in the first place? Like, what's the heart in it? Martha was so busy, she was doing all these good things, but in the process, she completely lost sight of the best thing. And she got distracted. And then check out what she did next. This text says, Luke 10, verse 40, it says, but Martha was distracted. There's our word, distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell, check out what she says. So tell her to give me a hand. So in the middle of doing all these good things, not only has Martha lost sight of the best thing, but in the process of losing sight of the best thing, she's also become more and more bitter, more and more resentful towards her sister Mary because Mary isn't helping her. But then on top of that, that, it doesn't stop there. She's also starting to question Jesus. Like, check out what she asks Jesus. She says, Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care? Have you guys ever been there and asked God, like, Lord, don't you care? Like, like, don't you care that I'm going through this hard situation in my life? Don't you care that my, my finances, I'm really struggling right now with my finances? Or, or don't you care that I'm going through this, this medical issue in my life? Don't you care what that person did for me? Look at everything that I'm doing and I'm struggling here. Lord, don't you care? You ever been there before? Like, man, it is so easy sometimes to get distracted and bogged down with the craziness of life. And we get to this point to where we can't even see straight anymore and we lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing in the first place or what the focus is really supposed to be in our life we get so busy doing different things and a lot of times it's really good things but what happens is we start doing all these really good things but catch this we're doing the good things for the wrong reasons and then we start to become more and more bitter and more and more resentful in the process we start to become overwhelmed. We start to become, become anxious. And we start pointing our finger at other people. We start pointing our finger at God. And then we start questioning whether or not he even cares. And what we have to understand, though, is God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to be able to do everything just right. He doesn't expect you to be the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect father or mother, 
the perfect worker. He doesn't expect you to, to be everything to everybody, to be able to meet everybody's needs. There's only one perfect person, and it's not you, and it's not me. The only perfect person there is, is Jesus. So God does not expect you to be perfect. What he does expect from us is that we trust him, that we honestly trust him. And even in our trust, he doesn't expect us to be perfect with that. All he asks us to do is just step out in faith. Give him those inches of faith, and then he will multiply those exponentially. And in the process of stepping out in faith, giving those inches of faith throughout our daily life, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, and no matter who we are, he also expects us to remember what the central focus and the purpose of our life should be no matter what which is loving God with everything that we have and loving the other people around us not expecting anything in return just pure love with no strings attached and not in a way that's going to completely overwhelm you or make you anxious, or make you resentful, or bitter, to the fact that to the point to where you completely lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. Just do what you can. Do what you can. Do what God has called you to do to the best of your ability, and then catch this. Trust God to do the rest. Do what you can, what God has called you to do, to the best of your ability. So that doesn't mean you be lazy. It doesn't mean that you just sit there and you let everybody else work hard, do what God has called you to do, but then trust him to do the rest. And if we think about it, in the areas in our life where we're allowing ourselves to just get so overwhelmed and bogged down, if we really think about that at the core of that, those are areas in our life where we're not really trusting God to provide, right? It's kind of like saying, hey, God, I trust you. I know you're good. I believe that you're going to provide, but, but just in case, I'm just going to work uh, myself half to death over here and worry myself half to death just in case, because I trust you, but just in case, I'm going to make up this difference, right? But guys, that's not trust. That's called control. And that's, what, that's the core of what Martha was struggling with. She was so busy doing all these different things. And again, good things. She was so busy doing these things. It had to be just right. It had to be done a certain way. It had to be done in a certain time frame, right? What she really wanted was she wanted to control it. And then through that, because of that, Jesus reminded her of a few things. The first thing that Jesus reminded her of is the fact that, first of all, we're not supposed to be in control. She's not supposed to be in control. We're not supposed to be in control. The only one that's supposed to be in control is God. The other thing that she reminded her of is the, the whole reason, the point of serving other people, of working and serving other people in the first place, which is loving God and then loving other people. And the third thing that, that he reminded her and really taught her is really the central focus. And this is the most important thing. And this is something that he taught Martha through her sister, Mary, right? He showed her what the best thing in life is, what everything else in our life should really revolve around. Because while Martha was busy doing all these things, and again, they were good things, but she was so busy, so bogged down doing all these, these things, what was Mary doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And something that we have to understand culturally in this scene, when, when Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, it, it, this isn't implying that she was just sitting there doing nothing, right? 
This isn't implying that she was sitting there being lazy while Martha is over here slaving away. Culturally speaking, when someone was sitting at the feet of, of a rabbi, which is what Jesus was for Mary, a rabbi or a teacher, what that meant was that person was intentionally leaning in. They, they were paying attention, leaning in on every word that this person was saying. This rabbi, this teacher was telling them, wanting to learn, wanting to be molded. Really what she was doing is she was actively being discipled by Jesus. She was actively in the process learning how to walk in the footsteps of Jesus while spending time with him in order to grow closer and closer to him in an intimate relationship with him. So while Martha was busy doing all of these things, and again, they were, they were good things, she completely lost sight of the best thing, which is being discipled by Jesus and then also spending time with him in order to grow closer to him. See, what we have to understand is a lot of times we can get so busy and work, so wrapped up in work, that we completely lose sight of the Savior. And that's exactly what happened with Martha in this situation. She got so busy and so wrapped up in her work that she completely lost sight of Jesus, her Savior, which is why Jesus corrected her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. And don't miss Jesus' words here when he says, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. In other words, regardless of everything that's going on in your life, regardless of the busy schedules, regardless of your work, uh, regardless of, of the, you know, the things that you learn, the books that you read, the people that you spend time with, the things that you do, even the good work that you do, spending time with your family, regardless of all of these things, all of those things, hear me on these, all of those things are completely useless. They will do absolutely nothing for you if you lose sight of the best thing. If you lose sight of the best thing, which is actively being discipled by Jesus spending time with him so that you can grow in an intimate relationship with him and then learning to center him in your life so that everything else in your life completely revolves around him. But what's so sad is so often, man, we get this backwards, don't we? So often it's not the fact that we're centering everything in our life around Jesus, it's that we're centering Jesus and church and all these other things around something else in our life, aren't we? A lot of times it can be something like work or maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's a desire or your plans or your schedules, your goals and life, your free time, your all kinds of different things that we try to put at the center of our life. And what happens is in, when we do that, when we put something else as the center of our life rather than Jesus, then all these other things like spending time with Jesus or reading the Bible are going to church or fulfilling the great commission, which is making disciples for Jesus, like telling other people about Jesus, telling people about the gospel, inviting them to church. When we put other things other than Jesus at the center of our life, those other things start being put into a category that's essentially like this extracurricular category in our life. And what we do is we essentially tell ourselves, okay, well, I'll do those things when I have time. Or I'll do those things if they fit into my, into my schedule. And really more than anything, what, what we tell ourselves is I'll do those things as long as they don't interfere 
with what's really most important in my life. I'll go to church as long as it doesn't interfere with my work. I'll read the Bible as long as I get to do these other things, as long as I get enough sleep, you know, as long as I'm not too busy. I'll tell somebody about Jesus as long as it fits into my schedule throughout my work week and I can go to all my meetings and I can do everything that I need to do. Then maybe if I have time, I'll tell somebody else about Jesus. But hear me on this. At the end of the day, none of those things are ever supposed to be the center of our life. And when anything else other than Jesus becomes the center of our life, what we're doing is we're falling into the trap of distraction. So rather than Jesus Christ being Lord of your life, your work becomes the Lord of your life. Rather than Jesus becoming the Lord of your life, maybe your relationships become the Lord of your life. Or your finances, or your hobbies, or your your plans, your goals for your life. Those things become the Lord of your life rather than Jesus Christ. Because when we put Jesus as the center focus in our life, what happens is everything else starts to revolve around him. So Our finances revolve around Jesus. Our work revolves around Jesus. Our free time revolves around Jesus. Our desires, our goals, our plans, our relationships, our kids, how we spend time with our kids, how we interact with other people, how we serve other people, everything in life starts to revolve around him. So what we have to understand is Jesus is our distraction filter because as we focus our time and our attention on Jesus, then everything else in our life starts to fall into place. And so if you're here today and you're wondering, man, how do I start honestly doing that? How do I start honestly putting Jesus at the center of my life? Because you know what? I think I've been struggling with this. I think that, I think that I've had my work at the center of my life or my relationships, my kids, my desires, all the, some other things I think are, are really, really the central focus in my life. So how can I begin that process of putting Jesus at the center? So what I want to do, I want to end by hitting on a couple quick things, a couple ways that we can start actively doing this. The first one is just be still. Just be still. There are so many things in our life that try to draw us away. Our tension, our, our time, our energy, they try to, try to draw us away, these distractions in life. And what they do is they just drain and suck the life right out of us. They'll suck the peace and the joy right out of our life. And that's why it's so important to set up intentional times throughout your week, even, even daily, to honestly, check this out, to honestly do nothing. Like literally do nothing. Just sit there Be still and know that he is God. Know that he's in control. Know that he hasn't left you, that he loves you, that he's right there with you no matter what you're going through, and that he has a good, good plan for your life. And as you start to intentionally set these times in your life to just be still and know that he is God and just rest in his presence and his love, what will happen is you will naturally start to feel him just unraveling the different distractions that you have allowed to just completely wrap themselves around you and suffocate the peace and the joy right out of your life. He will unravel those things in your life and he will fill you with so much peace and so much joy. It'll be overwhelming. Just be still. Be still and know that he is God. 
And the second one, we're going to end with this one. And start scheduling your life around Jesus rather than trying to schedule Jesus around your life. And I want to say this one again. Start scheduling your life around Jesus rather than trying to schedule Jesus around your life. And so practical, practically, what does that look like? That, that means that when you think about your morning routine, start scheduling your morning routine around Jesus. Start scheduling your work around Jesus. Start scheduling your calendar. As you're breaking out the calendar, what am I going to do this week? Start scheduling it around Jesus. Start scheduling your desires, your vacations, your different interactions, how you're going to serve people, what you're going to do throughout your day, throughout your week, all around Jesus. And then ask yourself this question. And this is a question that we've probably heard a million times, and I know that it's kind of corny, but it is so powerful, and it's so important. Start asking yourself this question, what would Jesus do? In this situation in my life, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do when it comes to these finances? What would Jesus do if he were discipling and spending time with this little kid that I have the opportunity and the blessing to call my son or my daughter? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do with this homeless person on the street over here? What would Jesus do in this church? As I come into this church, how would Jesus serve? What would Jesus do? Asking yourself that question. It's honestly, be still. Know that he's God, that he's in control. Trust him. Start scheduling your life around Jesus and then stand back and watch what he does. And what we're going to do here in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And this is only for repentance believers, so people that are honestly following Jesus, not in perfection, but honestly taking that walk with Christ seriously. And so if that is you here in just a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to come up here and take communion. Um, I've, I've called this almost like a, it's a picture of the intimacy that we share with Jesus. Or what we're doing is we're going up to him and saying, Jesus, I am all yours. Everything I have, everything I am, I'm all yours. And so before you come up to take communion, what I want to challenge you to do is really ask God, what are the areas in my life that I'm putting something else as a central focus rather than you, over and above you? Am I putting my work over and above you? Am I putting my relationships even good things like your marriage or your kids or desires or even the willingness and the desire to want to volunteer and help. Am I putting that, am I putting ministry over and above you? Ask him to the, reveal those things in your life and he will. And then I want to encourage you to give those things over to him and make that commitment as you come up and you take communion, make that commitment to make Jesus Christ the only central focus in your life. And if you're here today and you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus, if you're not a follower of Christ, then the commitment that I want to encourage you to make is that commitment to start following him, to step out in trust, to step out in obedience. The book of Acts, it kind of tells us our history of the church. It, it outlines two different responses. The first one is just repentance. And all that word means is just turning away from anything else that we've tried to essentially center our life on and try to use as a way to cope with life as pretty much a makeshift functional savior in our life, turning away from those things and then turning to Jesus. And not in perfection, but as just in trust and obedience saying, Jesus, I want to walk this journey with you. Help me. And then after repentance comes baptism. 
And so if you're here today, if you, maybe you've repented, but you've never been baptized. And we would love to have the opportunity to celebrate that with you. And so whatever the response is, um, we'll be up here. I'll, I'll be over here, but I'd love to pray with you. The altar will be open. If you're a repentant believer, I'd love to invite you up for communion. If you're somebody that wants to respond to the gospel, then come up and talk to us. If you have any questions, whatever it is, whatever God's putting on your heart, you respond. And the way that we do this for communion, if you've never been here before and taken it with us, we don't dictate how you should do it. There's no time frame with this. You're not going to have an usher coming up to your aisle telling you, okay, you can go up. This is between you and Jesus. So take that time to pray. Ask him to reveal areas in your life that he wants you to surrender over. What I'm going to do here in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to invite the worship team up. And then one of our elders, um, Warren, is going to come up as well. And then after they come up, you guys just come up in response. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to respond, first off, to your gospel. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us on the cross your work for us in in our place. Your grace and your mercy, your love that we don't deserve. I thank you so much for that. And I pray again for anybody in here that's never responded, I pray right now, right now for that gift of salvation, that miracle of salvation. And I pray for the rest of us that are here today that, that are your followers that are actively being discipled by you. I pray that you help us to grow closer to you. I pray that you reveal the areas in our life that we aren't putting you first. Areas in our life where maybe we're putting other things, relationships, works, desires, whatever, over and above you, and we're not trusting you. I pray that you would reveal those things, and I pray that you would help us to step out in faith and to put you first and center in our life. We thank you so much, Jesus, and we love you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want i just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, 
Um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.